0: Hello and welcome back for episode 31 of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. It is great to be back and releasing another episode for you guys. I've been back up to uh, six days a week of work and I've been trying to squeeze in some fantastic interviews with some amazing guests and I'm excited to be releasing those interviews over the next few weeks. In this episode, I had the great pleasure of interviewing two of my mentors and two great young Australian dentists, Dr. Brad Agrawal and Dr. Varun Garg. Dr. Agarwal is an aesthetic dentist and a multiple practice owner based out of Queensland, Australia, and someone who I truly admire. Dr. Varun Garg is a prosthodontist based out of Melbourne, Australia, and I was lucky enough to have him as a clinical demonstrator while I was a dental student at the University of Melbourne, and I'm even luckier to have him as a friend and a mentor now. This episode is full of dental pearls for the dental students and the young, de- young dentists listening. Uh, we discuss avenues of clinical success, seeking out appropriate mentorship, importance of structured CPD early in your career, how to work with your local specialists, and much more. I hope you guys enjoyed this roundtable format as much as I did. I think it creates a lot of great natural conversation, allows the guests to bounce ideas off each other, which creates a nice synergy. And so I hope you guys enjoy this uh, value-packed podcast episode. Dr. Agarwal and Dr. Garg and I have partnered up to form the Newbie Dentist Study Club in Melbourne, Australia, and we are proud to be holding our first lecture on October the 29th, 2018. This lecture is called Introduction to Aesthetic Dentistry and hopes to provide valuable information on assessing, diagnosing, treatment planning, and executing aesthetic dental cases with aims of giving attendees actionable and practical tips that they can learn and apply the next day. So if you're based in Melbourne, Australia and are interested in, att- in attending this course, uh, message me on Instagram or find us on Facebook at the Newbie Dentist Study Club page. I will have all the links in the show notes, including the Instagram accounts for Dr. Garg and Dr. Agrawal as they produce some fantastic work. So if you guys are not familiar with their work, you can find it on Instagram and reach out to them if you've heard the interview because they love to hear from you guys as well. Uh, so without further ado, enjoy the episode. Dentist Podcast, the safe place for newbie dentists to connect, collaborate, learn, and grow. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to provide high-quality and high-value content for all the newbie dentists out there, with your host, Dr. Omerizami. I'm here with uh, Dr. Varun Garg and Dr. Brad Agoa. I'm really excited to have you guys here today. We've are uh, you know, we partnered up to uh, run the Newbie Dentist Study Club, and we're holding our uh, first lecture at the end of the month. And um, it's nice to have you guys in here today. We're going to talk about a lot of things, and I'm excited to kind of uh, dive into a lot of topics with you guys um, and touch on a lot of points. It's exciting for me to do something in person as well because usually I'm doing this online, and <laughs> it's a different uh, vibe in the room to have you guys both here today. So what I hope to do is kind of keep with the normal format of the podcast and uh, start off with a bit of an origin story. Um, so Varun, if you'd like to go first, um, just tell me a little bit about your background. Um, I know uh, you recently posted on Instagram like a little uh, bio by yourself, which was quite uh, enlightening to read. So I know you've been through a lot of things uh, early on in your you know professional career. So if you want to just uh, briefly just uh, you know walk us through maybe since like you graduated dentistry in uh, India and then you came over to Australia, what that's been like for you.
1: Thank you. Uh, thank you, Amit, for having me here. Um, it's quite overwhelming to speak in front of the live audience, but uh, I'll try my best to keep my horses under control. Now, um, yeah, I, I did do that bio on Instagram because it was a kind of a challenge that's going around. And one of my friends from uh, Florida, he asked me to do it. And it was the hardest thing I had to do because talking about yourself is, uh, probably takes yeah. uh, a lot more thought than you think. So, um, yeah, I, I was born in India. I, I was uh, born and bred there, and I lived there. I did my dentistry in India, and then I decided to move. Now, the reason I decided to move was purely because the dental culture um, was very different in India. Yeah. There you have a lot more competition, as you can imagine, because the population <laughs> is that um, that much. But uh, also, the way dentistry is practiced, I just never saw myself doing dentistry after hours and you know having a Monday to Friday job at a uni and then coming back and having a clinic after hours. So um, not something that really appealed to me and uh, I had I was lucky enough to have a few friends from uh, US and Canada and um, you know speaking to them about how dentistry works uh, in the countries where they were from and uh, I actually quite enjoyed the idea of that. So I started looking at where I want to be for the rest of my life and I uh, one of my cousins was in Australia, and he said, "Look, the lifestyle is pretty chilled. It's really nice," and I was quite naive. Anything would have sounded nice to me back then. <laughs> um, so I said, "Okay, well, I should try for that." Um, we had some roadshow. Universities were coming to India, and you know, promoting things. I had, uh, I had to sit for an interview and I got a part scholarship to do masters in forensic odontology. Nice. Uh, so UWA, which is the University in <laughs> Perth offered me that, yeah. and I was like, well, it might be an opportunity <laughs> to leave India and go and see what Australia has to offer. Yeah. And this is how I ended up here. Um, so did you complete that? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: so this is nice. again... Uh, <laughs> so you left India in the hope to work on dead people's teeth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, thought, I right. thought
1: it would be... Well, there were still teeth. Yeah. So I was connected to dentistry somehow. Yeah. Um, but no, it was actually quite different from what I thought. Yeah. I, I, before I joined the course, I thought it was all going to be CSI and, you know, it'll be all fancy stuff. But yeah. it was far from it. And um, being, you know, I was always very inclined towards prosthodontics. And uh, ever since I was in my third year of dental school, I thought, you know, one day I'll become a prosthodontist. And when I started doing this course, I was like, this has nothing to do with teeth. Yeah. Um, You know, I was doing a lot of sample collection, DNA analysis and reading a little bit of anatomy of the teeth, but nothing that excited me too much. Um, And then Australia... To become a dentist, although you've already graduated as one, you have to give Australian Dental Council exams. So I thought it's better if I spend my time preparing for that rather than continuing this course. Yeah. So then I just changed into something really basic diploma course, so I could still stay in the country and you know work on the Australian Dental Council exams. Yeah. So that that was another experience, um, one of the most stressful times. So what's that process day? like with the ADC exams? So I know it's quite a lengthy process, is like multiple exams and like hands-on components and all that. It is. It is. Um, I mean, stats say that it is probably one of the hardest exams to go through if you want to move to any other country and also Because what's involved. So I think stress gets to you a little bit as well because you're thinking your whole life now depends on this one exam. Yeah. But back in the day, the format keeps changing um, after every few years. But when I was giving the exam about 10 years ago, we had to sit for an English exam. Then you had to sit for a theory exam. And then you had to apply for a practical exam. The practical exam used to be seven days. So first two days, you would sit and do theory still. And then rest, you had hands-on component uh, not so much on live patients, other than Perio, But you know, exo preps, rubber dam exercises, um, obturation, like excess and obturation on uh, extracted teeth. So pretty full on. And uh, the pass percentage has always been about 20%, 15%. So That's you tough. know, to crack, yeah. And it's 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 getting apparently from what I hear is getting even more tough. So um, it was it was a lengthy process, but. Um, I was lucky enough to go through it and you know then started working in Perth yeah that's tough because I know in Canada it's a similar process and I have a good
0: friend of mine who is from India as well he was on the podcast a little while ago um, and he went to Canada and so in Canada there's a couple of options at the time and it's still the same in the US as well um, We can go back and do final two years of dental <clears throat> school uh, or do the equivalency process so he went to school for a couple of years and did it that way but it's uh, funny my uh, my uncle's a periodontist in Iran and he's uh, like implantologist like just focuses on implants more so he moved to Canada with his family and he's trying to do his uh, equivalency exams so he's in there like trying to do crown preps and stuff after like 30 years he's yeah. never done it so so he, he failed the first time he wasn't too happy about it so he's like yeah. studying again now to like try and do it again but funny uh, enough it's now tough I process. teach uh,
1: teach at the courses where you know we're training overseas trained dentists to how to sit the exams and I have few of these specialists um, I had someone from Saudi who's an orthodontist and another girl who's a pediatrician and they're like it's been over 10-15 years we've done a proper crown prep and yeah. you know it's although they know it all but still it's um, if you haven't done it you yeah, know, aren't your hand yeah. skills are not there yet so it can be quite tough, and especially for someone who's trying to change their whole life to set up something new in a in a different country. So, yeah, it was it was an experience that I'll remember for the rest of my life. But it was still good. I I I think looking back at it, like now that everything went okay, so yeah. I think you know it was it was fine. But yeah, tough gig. That's tough great. Gig. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the cool things I always think about is
0: like when you're going through the whole grind of the whole process you're always like stressed about it and you're always like oh one day i'm going to be a dentist and like now that you're in that position like it's always like funny to like look back like in retrospection and be like wow i went through all that whole process to be like where i am today correct, correct. um so i think like when you are having like a tough day it's like good to like wake up and just be like remember that because mm-hmm. like, i'm like i'm living what i was like working towards right that's right so we got uh dr brad ago here as well so if to just do the same if you can just uh take us through your bit of an origin story and then uh
2: we'll tie everything together and we'll go from there for sure thanks so much for having me as well i mean My origin story, I think a lot of people would just, it's it's pretty vanilla. I think a lot of people (laughs) went through the same sort of thing. Um, I grew up in Melbourne, did all my education here. Um, After I finished year 12, I moved um, to the Gold Coast uh, in Queensland um, and did my undergraduate degree there. Um, Did that straight after school, after I finished up. I guess it probably wasn't, um, I guess I didn't really know that I wanted to be a dentist at that time as well. I did a bit of work experience in year 10 at school. Um, and I loved it, I thought it was great. But I think it was probably, again, third year when you actually finally got in and started seeing patients. Where I was like, okay, I think this is my thing. And I, and yeah. I, I guess that passion sort of developed from there. Um, after I finished, um, I went straight into private practice. I had a couple of jobs, you know, I think you, you sort of relate to that, you know, juggled a few different jobs. Yeah, for sure. Um, worked in a few different private practices. And I guess I was really lucky in the sense that I had a few really supportive and really great mentors when I first started out. And as much as I enjoyed dentistry and I worked really hard whilst I was, you know, doing my undergraduate degree, if it wasn't for that sort of early support that I had from some of my, um, my mentors to actually just go in and do it and, you know, ha- take a chance and actually, actually do it and have that support and that yeah. backup, I don't think I'd sort of be to where I'm at today or, or do this, you know, kind of dentistry that I'm doing at the moment. Um, so from there worked for about four and a half you know four and a half years um, worked for other people as an associate and I was lucky enough to meet a couple of guys that at some point offered me a job to come and work for them as an associate and from there we actually went into partnership and then started a couple of practices so nice. I yeah. guess today we've got three practices within the group um, that yeah. focus on sort of all aspects of dentistry and I guess it works really well in the sense that we all kind of have found out a little niche as well and we kind of bounce off each other and um, kind of building a, a practice that we can I guess be proud of Yeah, um, and, sure. and it's exciting you know I sort of love the, the business element of it I love building that patient experience and, and sort of being able to curate that to, to my liking but then I love dentistry just as much you know there's nothing else I want to do than, than actually work on my patients at yeah, the same time so great. yeah it's, it's been a fairly sort of basic sort of run for me you know it's, it's been going to school going to uni <laughs> starting work so you've just been uh, crushing uh, it the whole yeah, way through it's no, I, really it. it's just, I guess i guess things just fell into place and i was yeah. fortunate enough that i actually i guess i like which is cool yeah. um if i didn't then yeah i probably messed up big time yeah. but it, it's it's been a it's been a fun journey and look it's still there's so, such a long way to go which is exciting so yeah i mean that's kind of where i'm at at the moment just working away. Um, working on building our practice um, and just yeah just loving loving doing dentistry at the moment which is which is fun so that's great haven't yeah haven't <laughs> haven't hit a wall with dentistry yet
0: that's perfect and I think um, you know one of my favorite uh you know, quotes is always like good average of the five people you hang out with most. Um, and for me, like personally, just you know, you know, through the whole process, having to meet like both of you guys and you know, hear your stories and the experiences they've gone through has meant a lot for me. And I've I've learned a lot from you guys. So I really do appreciate the opportunity to be here and you know, you know, talk and and go through your experiences and learn from you guys. So you know, a common theme on the show is. Uh, the first few years of practice, because uh, I know that that's where I am right now. A lot of the listeners to the show are, you know, senior dental students or, um, you know, their associate dentists, you know, one or two years that are into their uh, profession and you know for me what I'm kind of struggling with and what I'm learning now like you said mentorship is so important and it's a common theme I hear it all the time I had a good mentor early on and it changed the trajectory of my career and it's like one of those things where it's like it's not like you're going from zero to 100 but a couple of degrees over a few years that, that adds up to quite a bit of a distance there so um, luckily I just got into a good associate position with uh, Dr. Soup and he's uh, like opening to my, my eyes a little bit to like comprehensive dentistry like getting away from like, okay, what's wrong with this one tooth? How do I fix it to looking at the whole picture? So maybe uh, to get Bharat to start off with this, um, just tell me a little bit about like that first couple of years for you. What were you enjoying? What were you struggling with? Uh, What kind of courses were you kind of uh, diving into a little bit? And what was like your steps towards like, what was your vision to like where you wanted to
2: be like five years out, for example? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's those first few years are so crucial. And I think, one of the big things that has sort of, I guess, being fortunate enough to be able to mentor a few younger dentists now and sort of see people go through that journey in retrospect, um, you know, I finished I finished dental school eight years ago now. yeah. Um, so I'm still very early on in my career. But to be able to sort of see that from the other side now has given me a bit of insight into, I guess, what we all go through. And I think it is hard. You know, there's a lot of dentists who graduate it's very competitive getting a job and we often just settle we often get our first job and we go okay this is my life now and this is um uh, this is my reality and I think we have to be I guess a little bit courageous in those first few years and go hey look I I need a mentor and if you don't have that support at work I guess it's easier now than ever to be able to reach out to people you know there's so many platforms that have opened up dentistry. It's not that isolated profession that it used to be. Same as you, I mean, just reaching out and going, hey, you know, yeah. what's going on in Instagram? Like, <laughs> it's as easy as that. And I guess we're all, you know, everyone's yeah. so approachable these days that everyone wants to share their knowledge. So yeah. if you don't have that support in-house, then look for it somewhere else. And I'm sure there's someone out there who's willing to... You know, reach out and give you a hand. And if you don't know, there's great specialists like, you know, Varun's in a position where, you know, he would work with several people who've just graduated and uh, he'd be more than happy, I'm sure, to field a oh, phone call or an absolutely. email and go, hey, Varun, I've started this or I don't know how to tackle this can I send this patient to you and can you at least give me some pointers on maybe in the future how I, I could handle that better or maybe in the future maybe that's a case that is something that I could treat in a few years with a bit more education which direction should I go, go yeah down? yeah
1: absolutely and I mean, I mean that's one of the most important things uh, if you don't know what you're doing reach out one way or the other yeah. and I, there's a lot of people out there who'll be happy to help you know if nothing else they can at least give you advice even if they can't see your patient they can say okay do this or definitely don't do this you know those things early on in your career decision making is such an important thing and as we were talking, we need to have a contingency plan. We need to know if things fail, what do we ha- what is going to happen. And I think that's one of the more important aspects of uh, dentistry nowadays, that we need to have a backup plan. Right, for sure. And I think the cool thing is, um, it's like the
0: Dunning-Kruger effect. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Like, confidence is like a function of, like, knowledge. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember, like honestly for like the first like six months i was working now i was like man i'm like so good i'm like god's gift like
2: I, i'm like I to mean, dentistry i can to <laughs> yeah. that completely i honestly finished dental school and i was you know I, I did well at dental school and i graduated and i was like watch out world like yeah. you know you are lucky <laughs> yeah. to have me as your dentist and it's funny how like i my procedures now take me longer than yeah. they used to take i probably stress more than i used oh, to stress yeah, yeah, I, actually, I guess things I, become more predictable yeah. at some point and, and to the young dentists out there yeah it's not going to be yeah, it's not that stress for the rest of your life, it's a different type of yeah. stress. Yeah, you don't you walk into work and you know every you can handle everything. But early on, yeah, you know, it's always just like yeah, it, it, it definitely has changed over the years and
1: and I think it's again you know how we were saying it's an isolated profession because we're working on our own we don't really say what others are doing and we're so consumed by what we're doing and we think we're the best yeah. and it happened to me as well like you know either one of you is because I joined prosthodontics and uh, I used to think I was a very good dentist <laughs> <It was> not <laughs> until I actually uh, stepped foot in that specialty clinic and I realised okay I don't know anything about it
2: the <laughs> so, more the more you learn sometimes correct. the more you realise the less you know yeah. And that's where I think knowing your, your limitations early on, going back to you know those first few years, there's no shame in knowing your limitations. There's no shame in working with a, a good specialist. And there's no shame in, in in being honest with your patients and going, hey, look, I can't handle this and maybe I'm not the best dentist to be helping you with this right now, but I can support you with your maintenance yeah. and I can support you you know, when you're back for your, your review and, and things like that. So I think it's important to not, I guess, to run your own race. And I think yeah. that's one of those, those big tips that I give a lot of young dentists is It's not a race and it's so hard these days, harder now than ever because we're constantly exposed to good dentistry and complex dentistry and dentistry that feel good dentistry. You feel like this person has changed this person's life and everyone wants inherently to be that person. You want to be your patient's hero, right? Like you want to be the one who's going to give them that reason to smile. Mm. And I guess your time will come. Like, you know, there's little (laughs) things you can do to to work towards that. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think you should be your um, your your biggest critique. Like, you know, we can look at others' work, but again. We look at some of these amazing posts, but we don't know what's going behind the scenes, how much effort has gone in, how many hours of work has gone into making something look that good. So we need to, you know, one step at a time. We can't just go from zero to 100 in one go. We need to understand that if I'm here, how can I improve one step, one step, until I get to a point where I can reproduce this over and over and give my patients a satisfaction.
2: Absolutely. I think when you see those, you see see a full archer. Like sometimes you see Varen posts a full archer preparation. <laughs> where he's done, you know, he's and you see the impression you go this is amazing I yeah. can't wait that I can do this, this I can treat this many teeth simultaneously and do such a great job of yeah. it but you have to remember that going from preparing one tooth for a crown to preparing two and then you're going to three there's an exponential increase in difficulty it's yeah. not that you've got now just t- twice as many teeth to worry about or three times as many it teeth changes to worry everything. about yes. it's exponentially the, the, the biggest of, factor
1: is the patient because you know like sometimes these procedures take a lot of time and not every patient will cope well with it and you need mm-hmm. to pick and choose your patients where you can do that it's not that every patient who needs a full mouth rehab needs to have all the teeth prepped in one go so you know you you have to consider what the patient factors are going to be what the teeth factors are going to be yeah uh, all that plays a very big part in that
2: so i think that's where getting your like picking good cpd early on is yeah. really oh, really important and i think when you first graduate you don't really you know this i speak to so many students who Um, are so definite on what they want to do. They're like, I'm going to be an orthodontist or I want to be an aesthetic dentist. I want to do cosmetic dentistry. And I don't think we can really make that judgment call when we're in fourth or fifth year. You know, we've seen a little bit, we've treated a few patients. You don't really know. When you you start working, you kind of realize, and I think that's where doing a bit of CPD in everything, you know, get your basics really strong, you know, do some endo CPD, learn ortho diagnosis, learn how to, you know, prepare an onlay, do a bit of everything and I think that's what's going to make you a well-rounded clinician and eventually when you do enough of that cpd there's going to be a moment where you click and go hey this is what I love this is right. what I'm actually good right. at I've got a natural affinity to doing this yeah um, and then pursue that and I think that was one of the big things for me you know and, I, and this is I love this story because this was it was so overwhelmingly scary at the time <laughs> you know I worked at a really nice practice um, in Brisbane city that was yeah. one of my first jobs and I did two days a week there and I was so thankful for the opportunity to get to get that job and I had a patient walk in and it would have been week one of, of work. So I'm just <laughs> fresh out and I'm still feeling pretty confident good yeah. about myself. <laughs> um, and she'd had 10 composite veneers done um, with a, a notable, you know, prosthodontist. And she wasn't happy with those 10 composite veneers. And she wanted me to help her out and give her some advice on what she can do and, and how to fix it. And she was ready to rectify. She wanted a certain smile. And, I, I don't know how this progressed but I guess for me I was like okay well let's just figure out what she's not happy with so I spent that time Yeah, you know I had yeah. time at that time I wasn't busy you know it was my first week at work yeah. yeah spent some time just figuring out what she didn't like about her veneers made a problem list came up with some solutions and she booked in for 10 porcelain veneer preps the next week wow. <laughs> this is my okay. first week yeah Nice. So I'm, I'm just going, oh, I've gone home that day going, oh my God, what have I just done? Yeah. Um, I've cut you two, I've, I've, done, I've, I've, I've done two porcelain veneers at dental school. <laughs> <laughs> now I've had to do 10 yeah. to replace a prosthodontist. That's <laughs> no, so i went, not happy with. Yeah. So. so I went home <laughs> and I had Gallup Gurrell's book on veneers. Yeah. It was sitting at home. I read it cover to cover in that one week. So yeah. obviously I wasn't that busy either. I literally sat there and I read the whole book <laughs> cover to cover yeah. and I think I got to the Friday of that week and I called my, my boss at the time. And I was like, so I've got this patient booked in next week for 10 veneers. I've read guard girls book cover to cover, but I'm not going to do it. Can you please treat that patient for yeah. me? And I think that was one of those turning points for me where I was like, as much as I could have done it and you yeah, know, maybe I would have got a good result. I really don't think I could have got the result that I could have got if I did those 10 veneers today. And I think that was one of the best decisions I made at that point was to go, That's great. I know my limitations. I got some education in it. <laughs> and you know what, that's probably set me up for what I love to do to this Absolutely. day. Yeah. That, that drove my passion. So I think for new dentists, don't, just don't do it because you can. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, patients have, I guess you owe your patients that,
1: and I They're think spending it's, it's good money in correct it's it's all about the care about the patient at the end of the day we think it's about us but it's actually about the patient um, I mean the reason why I think I was having this conversation with a few of my students at the university the other day I was like give yourself a few years get out do some work actually really understand what you like you know we always look at people who we really like and we think oh one day I want to be him I want to, you know he's an orthodontist wow that's the life I have but yeah you really need to work through it because the last thing you want to do is be stuck in a profession that you'd really hate because these are hard courses. Like, you know, the hardest thing or one of the hardest things I've done in my life would be prosthodontics purely because, you know, There's no spoon feeding. You need to be um, accountable for what you do. You have to treatment plan. And these are the patients who are, you are their last hope almost in a way. They are waiting years and years to see you in the government facilities because, you know, things are deteriorating over a period of time. And then I still remember my first patient, uh, first day of my specialty clinic. And, you know, I was a GP and I didn't know much about pros. Um, this guy walks in, he had um, cleft lip, cleft palate, he had a class 3 missing interiors and where, and the only point of contact was uh, between the 2.7 and the 3.7 in his whole mouth and he walks in and I'm looking at myself I'm thinking, where am I gonna start? You know, so these, these are as complex as it gets, so but it's not about you need to so what I did was I took some primary impressions took some photos and said okay I'm going to see you in about a month's time and the whole month all I did was read about how do you go from step A to step B what diagnostics I need to do what is the information I need before even I can start treating them so you know I think you did the really right thing by reading everything you did but you showed that you cared for the patient and that's why you thought there's a better clinician who might give me do more justice to this case and um I decided to do specialty along the same line because I was working for about three and a half, four years before I th- decided, okay, this is the time I need yeah. to do Um But I wasn't doing full mouth rehabs. I wasn't like I've done one case three to three because aesthetics was something that has always been very close to me. but. The thing is, everything we do is aesthetic in one way Absolutely. or the other. Okay, yeah. it's yeah. not about if you're treating a front tooth or if you're treating the back tooth. It, the, you know, aesthetics have different parameters. Obviously, I'm gonna spend a lot more time making the interior tooth look good and you know fit into the occlusal scheme. Posteriorly, it needs to be functional, but it still needs to be aesthetic to some point, right? Maybe it's just the occlusal plane. Maybe it's the height of those lingual cusps. Maybe it's the inclination of those cusps. Like you yeah. know, we need to know what functionally works. Is there going to be an effect from the guidance? So all those things, and I I knew they existed, but I didn't know how to correct them. Yeah. And this is where I was, you know, I um, I used to go and observe a prosthodontist myself. Yeah, uh, whatever days I had free as a dentist, and uh, one day me and my wife, we were just walking around the house in the evening, and I was like, I really need to do prostheronics. Yeah, that's great. Um, and she was like, well, <laughs> if, you, yeah. she, she was like, if you need to do it, you've been saying it for a while, this is the time, we don't have a baby yet, we don't have anything, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want to do it, do it now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the rest is history, started applying and, um, you know, spoke to the conveners of the courses, uh, applied in Sydney, Melbourne got in. Um, Actually, I got acceptance letter from both, but I really like the Melbourne program. It just kind of fit into where I want to be because I'm a very hands-on clinician. You know, if I don't get my hands dirty, um, that's it. Uh, (laughs) So I thought, yep, here the best thing about melbourne program was that you have unlimited access to the number of patients because the patients don't have to pay the whole treatment fee. so yeah. you know there's a cutoff line which is pretty minimal and uh, you actually get the opportunity to do a lot more uh, and you know the other factor was there were some really good prosthodontist teaching in these courses um so you know my decision was quite simple i thought okay i'm going to do Um, album course joined the speciality and uh, yeah I think it's the best thing I've done uh, so far in my life I I don't regret one bit that's great uh, although I'm still very early in my career but I just I just love prosthodontics so you know it Every day I wake up and I think I want to do something better than I did last day. So, yeah. you know, um, no, but, you know, I, it's, it's, it's good. So, But we need to think about our patients. Sure. I still wouldn't be afraid to say, a patient, if I think there is someone else who can do something so better do than me, yeah. I would say, please go and see them. That's great. Okay. I think it's one thing,
2: Varen um, mentioned that was really, um, uh, really relates to me the fact that he said everything that we do is aesthetic. And it reminds me, um, I didn't mention this, one was in my origin story, but I went back and did um, a master's in aesthetic dentistry. That's right. Via distance through Kings. And one of the first questions I asked this day one when we first met was, you know, what do you, what do you define? What is aesthetic dentistry? You know, what is it and what does it mean? And I think there's a real, I think there's a real difference between, Aesthetics and cosmetics And I think people, yeah. a lot of people Get really confused, confused. You know, mm. um, Between that And I think it's such A distinct difference Because aesthetics is everything Aesthetics is when you treat That six year old With exactly. yeah, molar incisor hyperplasia nice. Aesthetics yeah. is when you Anything. Build that anatomy Into that lower seven That no one's ever going to see <laughs> yeah.
0: Aesthetics
2: goes on to function You know There's a correlation Between aesthetics Cosmetics and function Have nothing to do with one another Cosmetics is driven by trends By fashion Correct. It's driven by yeah. What people want right now It's an, emo- it's an emotional thing Whereas mm. aesthetics Is what we should all be practicing no one should great. be practicing I, that. dentistry. No. I don't think it should exist that that term is flawed in, in mm. my opinion
1: yeah. yeah absolutely right and this is why you know anything is aesthetic to a point like I'm not too fussed about putting a stain in the fissure <laughs> off of seven <laughs> but having said that the basic anatomy still needs to be there I can't yeah. as my one of my biggest mentors in life in prostheronics has been Dr. Andrew Flood and I'm very lucky that I work with him uh, at the moment so he calls them pancake you know pancake Either it's the crown or because they look like round, flat things. Yeah. They have no anatomy to it. So basic anatomy, because it's functional anatomy, it's not just because it looks pretty. Yes, it looks pretty. It's a it's a pro in that. But also it needs to function within the patient's mouth. We can't give them something. And, you know, we can't put a 16-year-old molar into a 60-year-old mouth. So, yeah. so that anatomy defines, but it might not be cosmetic but it's aesthetic for the patient it fits within their existing occlusal scheme. so you know you're absolutely bang on i love that it. differentiation between cosmetic
0: and aesthetic that's yeah. i hadn't thought about that before to be honest it's that's really profound i mean, think that was that one way. of the
2: yeah one of the biggest things i got out of doing my master's yeah. was that change in mindset because for me it was um, you know, when I started doing my masters, based on the Gold Coast, if you know, I know you have a lot of listeners in the states and Canada. Gold Coast is sort of the glitter strip of Australia, where it's all about everything. <laughs> last week, every, everything, everything's bigger, everything's wider. Yeah, you know, people, it's people like the Miami, of yeah, <laughs> people, people want a certain look. And you know, I did the aesthetics masters when I first started because I loved aesthetic dentistry. But I also, I guess, I wasn't super clear on the, on the difference between aesthetics and cosmetic. And it didn't take long for us to learn that. And I think that's testament to some of the, the, the teachers that we had there, you know, Subir Banerjee, for example, has been one of my oh, biggest mentors. Yeah. And I think he's a definition of an aesthetic Absolutely. dentist like that. Absolutely. He, yeah. We're all, he,
1: we've all grown up reading his articles. He's truly, he
2: truly understands the difference. And, and I, I was very fortunate to learn from him. And I guess, I guess that sort of goes on to my next point for sort of new graduates. Yeah. I think it's really important to invest in good quality CPD. So early on, do a bit of everything. Um, but at a point I think you need to invest in some good quality CPD from, you know, learning from the right people. You know, people who have been doing this for decades mm-hmm. who've seen their 30-year... You know, Subir can show you a 30-year follow-up of a composite he did <laughs> in, yeah. like, 88. And it yeah. looks like... Yeah, you, you can you. This show is, is
1: where we want to be one day. Absolutely. show. you want to learn
2: from these people. And I think the, the tricky thing is these days with Facebook dentistry and Instagram dentistry, it's very easy to buy into dogmas, but it's very easy to sort of, you know... Yeah learn from I guess someone who you think has um you know has a great following or you know gets lots of likes on their post yeah. um but yeah that's momentary dentistry and, and a lot I think a lot of it is smoke and mirrors and I think there's nothing that goes beyond actually learning the literature and learning what's worked for decades in clinicians hands who've been doing it for decades um, and I think that's really important. So there's a point where once you know what you want to do, start investing in good quality CPD sure. and talk to people who've done it. Yeah. And I think it's really important to talk to people who've done courses because there's certain courses that you hear people raving about online. And I guess sometimes you only hear the good stuff. And it's a lot of money to spend. You know, when you're doing mm. CPD, I think it's good to sort of be informed about yeah, it as well. So talk to talk to people you respect, For talk sure. to people yeah. you value, talk to people like Varon. You know, see what they've done, what their thoughts are, you know, things like that. And I think it's really important to to do that. So, that's one of the big things is start reading the literature, investing in the literature. Because once, you know, we were speaking about this earlier, once you can nail basic principles of what works, you know, that's that's the key to success in dentistry. And
1: I think it's uh, also, I mean, CPDs are CPDs, you know, but until you actually go back the next day and start applying it, because... The most important thing is not just learning from what someone else is saying, but actually going back and putting it to the test and seeing if that works for you. Because, you know, until we practice what we've heard, we're not going to get it. Yeah. And with aesthetics, I think the biggest thing is if you can't see something, you can't correct it. So it's actually appreciating. And where I think I got most out of was we're doing a lot of my own lab work. Because, you know, I realize that where things are going wrong, because if I don't like something, I need to go back to square one and actually start correcting it on the models before I can do it in the patient's mouth. Mm-hmm. So, and it all comes with repetition. I think it's the more you do of something, the better you get For at sure. it. For sure. I think
0: that's the problem with like the with the whole Instagram like generation and just like millennials in general. Like we just want like qu- quick answers, but quick solutions. You know,
1: there was a big, uh, big discussion on Instagram or Facebook or something. That is it a good thing that people are doing that, or is it dumbing our profession down? But I think if you really like something, and I still do it. I mean, regardless of who's posting it, if I really like the post, I want to connect to that person. I want to talk to them. I want to know what actually went on behind the scenes to get it from there to there. That's an important point. Because it's not that, you know, the patient walks in and they walk out with the best smile they've ever had. There's hours and hours of work. There's diagnostic, wax up, try there's provisionals, there's, you know, I, I have a patient at the moment, so... Although it's not like she had the very most high aesthetic demands. But, you know, I still have at least one or two especially for the upper interior. So, you know, there's a lot of hours spent in getting that end result, which looks good. So it's important to talk to people if you really like sure. and understand where they're coming from and how they got there where yeah. they are. And that's why I respect the people who post a little bit
0: more about the process, like showing the work that goes into it. Because if all you're doing is looking at before and after pictures like it's, it hides the true story about the work that goes into it. And I think it makes people feel bad because like I'll be like just scrolling through Instagram after work uh, having seen like my like MODs all day and then I'm like how can I like, how can mine doesn't look like that like, because like, you think it's TV easy for them nine, right 100
1: photos yeah. 99 wouldn't look like that
0: but, but I think yeah but also it's like you don't realize like the um, amount of hours the amount of like CPD hours they've done the amount of like repetitions that has gone into like producing that it's not
2: like the guy just woke up and did it on that morning just like you right important like I yeah. think for a lot of the young dentists it's don't like getting on Instagram and seeing things and it applies to everything. It's not just dentistry. You know, it can make you feel bad about yourself and yeah. make you feel, you know, question your self-worth and whether you're doing the right thing. Are you doing your patients a disservice because your, your results don't look like that? I think it's important to see, see that as something to inspire you and yeah. to motivate you to do better when you go in the next day. And it's 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 healthy to compete. and It's healthy to feel like you want to you know do as good as someone else, but compete with yourself. I think that's yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the, the biggest thing. You know? It's like, can I go in tomorrow and do it better than what I did take? In yes, right. that mod that I did today, yeah. look better <laughs> yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. And
1: take pictures is important. But yeah. also on the side note, please don't criticize if you see something that you don't like, because again, the story still stays the same. Now, one of my mentors during my program, Dr. Jerry Clausen, is a very well-respected prosthodontist in Melbourne. He said that. You know, don't look at a crown and say it's crap because you didn't do it. You don't know. This patient could have limited mouth opening. They have a huge tongue. They might not be able to open the mouth for like two seconds. And getting this crown on just from where the tooth needed it and it made the tooth last for the next 20 years, it might be a big effort and, you know, a very good success story. So don't just look at someone's work. And the biggest I've learned thing, out the hard way. Yeah, don't, so, you know, one thing I, I – and this is why when I see someone, even if the patient's referred to me from a dentist or, you know, they ended up in my book – Yeah. I think we're no one to judge someone's work because until you actually start treating the patients you don't know. Some of the patients might look like they're really easygoing, everything is fine until they step into your dental chair and, you know, they're lying there for more than half an hour. And then, you know, the whole hell breaks loose and you're like, okay, I can't do the work that I might be capable of doing. So we shouldn't be judgmental. So same thing, you know, if you like something, connect. If you don't like please don't go ahead and start saying unless you know the whole story about it. Yeah. So just to uh,
0: touch back on a few points, the point you made about the veneers, I think that's really important. I, I, read, I heard this in a podcast somewhere else and it's always stuck with me. It's like your reputation is more built on the work you refer out or you don't do than what you actually do. Because I think it shows like really like deep understanding of your own abilities and like what's best for the patient. So um, I think that's like a really important point for, uh, point for new grads especially to uh, consider. Touching on the uh, master's program they did, uh, I want to just uh, talk about that for a few minutes because I think that's like something I wasn't aware of. About until I kind of talked to you. What was that process like for you? Like what? Because uh, I know it's like a bit. I've looked into it, um, so it's like a, you know, it's like over a couple of years, part time, quite an expensive uh, endeavor as well. Um, so what was that like decision making process for you in terms of like the added value that it might have for your career going into that program?
2: Definitely, I think um, for me, it got to a point where I loved general dentistry. I loved doing everything. I always had an affinity towards aesthetic dentistry, um, and that was something that I was passionate about. And I think there was a point where. I had to make a decision of what I wanted to do. Did I want to yeah. be a general dentist um, for the, the near foreseeable future? Or did I want to make a decision to go into a specialty? And um, early on in my career, I wanted to be a periodontist. And I don't know where that came <laughs> from. And I had an opportunity to do perio and, and I turned that down. But probably a, a, the, one of the best decisions I've made. <laughs> so it was kind of, it got to a point where I just wanted to learn more. And I guess I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know anyone else who had done the course at the time. It was just something to do at that point yeah. there. Um, it was probably one of the best decisions I made. So as much as it was done um, via distance, some of the, the, the people that you meet and I think the people that you associate with as a result of it define defines who I am as a dentist today. Um, and that's not only just the the educators there and they're all brilliant at what they do. And we're having a brief chat about, you know, Sabir and yeah, Shamir yeah, and those guys, you know, they've defined the, the management of where around the world and to actually learn from these people firsthand, there's there's something different that comes from that. You know, great. It, it really enlightens you to what's possible with dentistry. I think the other thing that anything sort of, yeah, and I guess the benefit being a postgraduate um Postgraduate coursework run through King's is the fact that it's all evidence-based, and and it forces you to read the literature. It shows you to it. it changed my approach to industry. I thought I knew how to read literature before I did it, and then the moment you submit that the moment you submit that first assignment, there's red pens all (laughs) over. Are you sure you read that paper correctly? (laughs) Um, It it really. So you can't just
0: look at the abstract,
2: (laughs) and you can't just reference the other references. You have to write your thesis. That was my my go-to trick. Just
0: go to Wikipedia and like get all the references.
2: the <laughs> so I, yeah, I tried that for assignment one. It didn't, didn't pan out all that well. So I think there's something that comes from that and, and that was brilliant. So it was basically an application process. I got in, you go into three-year, three-year coursework First two years, you go over for 10 days and it's a face-to-face intensive where you you know do hands-on, you work on mannequins, you obviously get to meet the people who teach you. Um, and there's usually weekly or you know fortnightly sort of lectures yeah. that you do online and, and course work along the way. So assignments, um, exams, and case-based assignments as well, where you've got certain criteria that you need to meet and patients that you need to treat. So that's really, I guess, has shaped my sort of approach to dentistry these days. I would like highly recommend it to anyone, despite the cost that's that's associated with it. I think you'll learn a lot from the people that teach you, but even the people in my cohort, you know, some of them have gone on to do some brilliant stuff, you know, some of them had their thesis published as, you know, papers in the BDJ and um, to actually have met these people and to, you know, rub shoulders mm-hmm. with some of these people who are actually defining and shaping the future of dentistry, it's, it's really exciting. And, That's you know, right. I still keep in contact with my That's cohort right. and they're yeah. all doing amazing things all around the world. And these are people not just in Australia, they're, they're everywhere around the yeah. world. And, and those networks you build are going to shape I mean, shape this is it.
1: one good thing about Facebook and Instagram. It's it's actually made these people, people it's very approachable. You know what they're doing. And people have access to their work from anywhere else so you know inspira- if you want to take positive inspiration it's kind of made it easy so easy, easy. So, yeah um, no absolutely so these these are such big names you know that you've mentioned and, but you know don't forget they all started like you and me one day and <laughs> yeah. you know it's all the efforts that you exciting. Yeah. But I think the, the
0: the cool thing about it is the structure, right? Because I think that's like something that we all struggle. With, and I yeah. talked about this in like other uh, podcasts with different guests. Is that, you know we're we're so good at you know going through school curriculums and like we excel at that, right? And then once you graduate, you're kind of out in the open, and Absolutely. Um, you can, there's no structure to like what CPD I like can do, like a wisdom tooth one and then and like you said earlier like how do you implement that if you do like one endo course and then the next day are you like an endodontist like not, you don't have enough depth there so it's just like a superficial introduction to a topic
2: and I think structured learning is really important yeah. and that's what that gave me is, is that I had assignments due I had papers to read and it just gave me purpose. You know, I kind of had like, I need to do this. I need to get through this. Whereas when you're on your own, you kind of just like, oh, dibble dabble in this and do a bit of this. And mm-hmm. I, and there's there's a purpose to it. And I guess that's when, you know, when you get to third, you, you write a thesis. Um, yeah, like plenty of sleepless nights. Like that was not, <laughs> that was, that was, it was fun in hindsight, but not. Uh, and you're maybe, working full time uh, during yeah, this time, totally. right? So, yeah, absolutely. So we actually yeah. started um, our first startup at, well it opened doors during exams in second year so (laughs) um that was like a whole new level of stress like actually doing this exam going back to like this practice that's meant to open in three days so yeah it was stressful so I took a year off between second and third year and I think that was a good decision for me um to just take a year off recoup you know work in the business work on just like my life again like having having a bit of a life um and then yeah spent a year writing that thesis and and I did my thesis on um Tooth whitening and the efficacy of it and what the literature shows and did an audit you know, within our clinic. So while
1: we're at it, what was the result? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to read the buttons, <laughs> yeah, so don't I, have I, to read I'll, I'll send you guys down
2: later. <laughs> so yeah, that was interesting. Uh, Cliff notes, please. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> it. So we did, um, yeah, we did an audit of our practice to see how often patients were whitening, how often they were topping up treatment. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was it was a bit of fun. So in hindsight, yeah, it was it was great. And I'd highly recommend anyone who's looking into doing any university based postgraduate learning whether it's a, a comprehensive you know specialist degree whether it's something to you know supplement your, your general dentistry i think you should do it for me it's changed the way that i practice yeah um, and i guess it's more and more so now since i finished it's opened up so many doors and so many opportunities that's to meet fantastic. great people like you that um, i may not have met if i hadn't done my Absolutely. masters i just wouldn't have been like in that, i wouldn't true. have been in that mindset to yeah. be able to communicate with mindset. you know, varun in a way that we can relate to one another. Yeah. And, that, and that's been great, so.
1: But I think, I mean, well, you know, listening to your story, and this is the first time I'm listening from you coming, but, you know, the basic principles why we did something is still the same. You know, we wanted to learn more. We wanted to do better for our patients. And we we just, we were at a point where we knew we needed to know more, but we just didn't know where to go. So, you know, the way to go up is learning and either it's by CPD or, you know, any form of programs. Learning never hurts. You learn whatever, it at some point it'll come in handy. Totally. Yeah. I think it, it makes you hungry for, uh, like, I think if you work for
0: a while, you're going to stagnate in what you know and what you do. Mm-hmm. So I think it just adds that more depth into, like, m- like meaningful work for yourself if you want to do it that totally. way. And I think the cool thing is, like, just like financially speaking, uh, obviously, like, tuition, like, you know, most of the listeners are, like, American based, or even for myself, because I pay, like, international tuition at Melbourne Uni for dental school. Like, we have a lot of student debt. Um, so the traditional specializing, like, financially this may not be the most feasible option i think because you know you're like two or three hundred thousand dollars in debt and then you're gonna take three years off work so you have no income yes. coming in plus you're paying more tuition and then at the end of it it's like you're five or six hundred thousand dollars like how do you climb out of that
1: mountain i, so. I don't know <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm my first year outside yeah. so i'm still still trying to figure it out but yeah. uh, look um Financially, in the initial years, it might not be the best decision you make, but that you're well aware of that before you jump into it. It's yeah. not, it's not a decision that um, you know you you take lightly. You have to think about it, and this is why not everyone I can understand um, specialize or you know go away from work for that long extended period of time and uh, you know from previous conversation because we didn't have a baby yet you know we were still quite independent and I thought that probably would be the time and my wife's like yeah that's fine and you know your spouses need to be really supportive because you can't do these programs Uh, and I'm not I'm not as um, as good as Bharat is so if I didn't have (laughs) a curriculum I didn't have you know five days to go to university I would probably complete that course in like ten years (laughs) so I needed something that will force me to to be accountable yeah be there I need to be in there you know if it's if it's it's all or nothing it's there's no middle ground yeah uh and plus you know I I knew that my and I think I mean as bad as it sounds but I think my knowledge gap was so the large that I thought that I need to fill in such a big void and I need to put in the hours I can't just do little by little I just need to go in you know uh, head on into this so that's when I decided to do it was it was the hardest thing to do because you know once you're starting to work for a few years and then you go into a full-time course, yes, I we had to sell our house in Perth, my wife left the job, I left the job. It, I had two weeks to decide that I'm gonna take this opportunity that was offered to me, because yeah. I was the last intake for the year, and uh, you know, luckily the interviews cut down at, in July, but I was actually applying for 2016 intake and when i contacted the university that was towards the october of 2014 and then uh 2014 and then what they did was they were like okay uh, we don't take anyone in without uh, hands-on examination so there's a three-hour exam and in an interview so would you want to come in for one and i'm like okay and i was thinking like it's a bit early for next year but you know okay so i went in december and towards the end of December, I got the offer letter saying that we're happy to offer your place, but it's for 2015, not 16. <laughs> so I'm like, oh god, you know. So that and the start was March, and it gave me two months, and but I had to tell them within the next two weeks that if I'm going to take it or not, because obviously otherwise they need to offer it to whoever else. Yeah, I spoke to about ten prosthodontists, and I was like, what should I do? They were like, look. It's one year less of pain. So (laughs) you just bite the bullet. You know, you'll graduate one year early. It's not going to be easy no matter when you do. But and I think they had a right point because it's not because it's pain from a point of view that it's not a good course. It's just that there is so much involved because we don't know anything about it. And there's so much to learn. Uh, My days like, you know, the reason why money doesn't come in is because not that the university says you can't work it's just that you have no time because i used to have six clinical sessions a week then you have to do all your lab work yourself from pouring the models to mounting the models to diagnostics to wax ups to special trays to preps (laughs) to dyes you know trimming your dyes and this is but it's very important i wouldn't have it any other way because Mm. that taught me the importance of good impression we were talking about full arch impressions now Until I have to slog through mounting that, trimming that, marking my margins, how do I know what the technicians go through? If I don't do justice to them, how do I expect them to do justice to my work? And, you know, uh, sometimes I had to repeat the things two times, three times. I still remember my first full mouth wax up, which took me hours and hours of time. I had to redo it because when I tried it I was absolutely wrong and I, took, uh, I I did a mistake in taking the Facebook registration and everything was scanted. so uh, so you know we, le- we learn from those things yeah. Um, but yeah it was it was hard money gap is quite big I i I'm um, um, I'm still in, in huge debt. I'm trying to build my way through it. I don't know how long it'll take. But, you know, I still don't regret it because at least now what I do, I love it. So m- money eventually will come. Hopefully it will get to a point where we become comfortable. But, you know, I'm not thinking about it as yet because my main focus is trying to get to the point where I want to be professionally. And, uh, you know, uh, they, when, they say when, you know, you do good things, money follows. So yeah, I hope it happens. That's one so night. good. Love that. I think
0: that's my problem is like I mean I'm like I've only been like a dentist for like two years and already like it's like my personality is like I can't get comfortable like doing something and just be like okay I'm just gonna do this for like 10 years in my mind I'm constantly like what's next what's next like how do I do this what do I do that like what do I side hustle like so I think it, like it's such a good approach to have let's just love what you do like get your day job sorted first get that tight and then worry about other things on the side I think that's like a more ad- admirable push to like kind of absolutely
1: being happier I mean it's more it's very stressful as well like um, I'm because I'm at a point where a lot of the cases are where things have gone wrong from every aspect that they could be. And then, you know, you're trying to put, figure out this puzzle and see where you want to go. And so it can be quite stressful. Yeah. But still, if you really love what you're doing, you know, it keeps you going. It's not that I come out on the day and hold my head and like, what am <laughs> I doing? Why? It. it we, we all have hard days. We're yeah. all going to come out of these patients, you know, after treating a patient and you're like, oh, thank God it's over. It's not because we don't love what we do. It's just... A hard- hard patient or a hard case is always going to be difficult and, for sure you it's know,
2: a tough gig it's, like it's, it's and i think a, for new grads you're gonna realize that yeah. it, it, it's actually really hard it's a hard job and i think we need to <laughs> sit back and like acknowledge that like you know you're gonna have bad days and you're gonna feel yeah. rubbish about yourself you mm-hmm. feel rubbish about dentistry but that's not the be all and end all right exactly. you're gonna to have tough days it's gonna get better and like i said it, get, it just gets more predictable you get to yeah. a point a few years later we're like oh i'm not thinking about those 10 things I thought about you know, every day when I first went to work Like you just, yeah. it just becomes second nature so you got to just hang in there hey, just yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, and acknowledge that it's hard and sometimes and it's and not going to be perfect yeah. if
1: you know something is coming and you know you're, it's going to be or you think it can be difficult totally. or yeah. just you know think about it I even now, if I have a big case in the morning actually subconsciously even when I'm sleeping, I'm thinking about you know things that are gonna happen. All the time. I don't yeah. think it's it's mentally that nice, you know. <laughs> We're taking all the stress, but it's pre-planning, you know. If if you know planning to. Planning to get something right, and you need to visualize. I'm going to do first step, second step, third step. And then if you go and apply it, hopefully it takes a little bit of anxiety. Yeah. That's something, something that I've been doing recently. Like when I when I, know I have a big case coming up for the day, and like you said,
0: because it's not like I've done it like hundreds of times, like maybe I've done it a few times. Mm-hmm. So, like in the morning, like, oh, I should wake up earlier and like I'll like try and like visualize like the procedure in my head. Like, all right, so I'm going to tell my system, like, have this, this, and this ready. I'm going to yeah. do this first. Absolutely. And then when you do it and like it orchestrates perfectly to like what you'd like envisage,
1: it's like, wow, that's like a cool I cool go and feeling. make a list for my right day. Day. Yeah, and yeah, yeah i would i go and list everything that needs to be yeah so because I want them to be anxious as well patients yeah. can feel it if you're anxious with something in there although you can mask it all but you know if you have a system
2: group, uh, yeah, it just the makes best things kill. yeah absolutely. and I think it's yeah. also nice that yeah, you know, if you have those lists if you forget something it's always nice if you just turns around right. and goes you don't remember? You know idea, that have got, got <laughs> step three eh? shade
0: guide like, oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. the amount of times I've
0: done that oh but one time I ran out into the parking lot I'm like I need a shade come back <laughs> <laughs> well um, uh, uh,
2: that, that sounds I'm, I'm terrible That's am it's happening <laughs> to everybody not as bad as that time where i got six teeth into a bonding case and my nurse and i both realized that we forgot to put bond on the tooth (laughs) (laughs) luckily the patient the patient was in the dental industry so she just looked up she saw both both of her eyes and she's like what did, <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. And you'd be surprised how strong the, the bond between yeah. Etched and Adol and Composite yeah. is because yeah. it took me so long to take on. <laughs> That's amazing. I love, yes. That's, I like when happens everyone. Yeah. That's ever why I
0: think it'd be a happier place that everyone like shared failures more often because I think it, because of Instagram and so Facebook and stuff, you always see perfect, perfect, perfect. It's and a highlight then, Like, like yeah. I screw up all the time. Like, how is nobody else screwing Everybody up? Like, does. Everybody <laughs> yeah, does. Yeah, so it's good to hear that. All right, so I wanted to move this along. It'd be interesting to get your perspective on this. So I want to talk about, like, an average week, for example. Probably you're you know uh, general dentist, you know, focused on, like, aesthetics. Practice owner as well, so you have that added stress of, like, the, you know, managing staff and all that. So talk to me about, like, your average week, and then uh, we'll get into Varun as well so, after that.
2: Um, I think... For me, I'm still figuring it out. You know, for me, this year has been a big year. I've cut down from doing five and a half clinical days to four clinical days. And I think it's really helped with my work-life balance. So my average week, you know, I still do pretty much all aspects of, of general dentistry. There's lots of stuff that I still refer out to specialists that are beyond my scope um, or within the practice. You know, there's things that I do less of now than I used to do more of. But for me, the I do four days. I work fairly long days. I do those four days. And for me, it's all about if I'm going to be at work, then I'm going to be there and, and be present and do as much as I can in that day. Um, and for me, I guess from there on in, there's a lot of stuff that happens from business aspect. I think as a business owner, there's a lot of things you learn about As you go along, as well, you know, there's decisions you're making in between patients when things are, you know, falling apart with you know, a staff member. If there's something else going on, there's other things you're controlling. So there's a lot of stress that's you know associated with that as well. But average week for me, you know, I'm I'm doing all aspects of general dentistry day in day out, Um, and yeah, look, I mean, it's for me, I guess it's it's become nicer in the sense that I guess you do word of mouth and. Um, r- referrals from you know, other clinicians as well that I'm doing more of the stuff that I like and I think that eventually happens for, for most people as well is once you find your niche you just find that you know, you're doing more of it, more yeah. of your patients are talking about it to other people who come in wanting what you're doing for yeah, them. I think
1: still word of mouth is the biggest thing, I mean patients if they like your work they're going to tell 10 others people
2: than yeah. other people,
1: and they're gonna come and see you for it. So word of mouth is important, and that all comes down to how good you are in yeah. doing what you're doing. Well, it's been exciting. So, yeah. I think
2: I've finally sort of you know built yeah. that sort of ideal patient base where I, I I can confidently say that I love like like most, if not all, of my patients. You know because they. Our patients that I've seen, I like them. They've referred patients that are like-minded to them. Yeah. And it's got to a point now where my book is full of those patients that I, I see day in, day out, Absolutely. which is really exciting. And obviously, there's the anomaly here and there. But, <laughs> you know, I think building your ideal patient base just takes time. And after and a
1: I, while, they become your friends. Yeah, yeah it's you know, fun. You, You've seen them long it's enough. And they kids that you've seen grow up, you know, correct. since you know,
2: cool. go through school, get their licenses. So what's your
0: books like? Are you Obviously, I think doing like the master's degree and like doing the bigger cases that you're doing like enables you to do less see less patients in a given day because you're just doing bigger and bigger procedures so what's that like average kind of day in terms of like workflow
2: yeah so we try and i guess we try and pre-block appointments i'm seeing still a bit of everything you know i don't want to not be able to see my new patients where i need to so i'll see a couple new patients you know most days Um, i still do my own hygiene as well Mm -hmm. so i'll see my hygiene patients and then usually there'll be you know one or two sort of you know big cases you know most days where i'm either doing some bonding and i'll sort of spend like you know, two or three hours with you know a bonding patient for example if there's an indirect booked in i still you know i used to book in an hour for an indirect i book in an hour and 15 an hour and a half now you know yeah. it takes me longer to do these things mm-hmm. but my average week you know there'll be a couple of bonding cases a few indirects here and there nothing out of the ordinary that you know anyone else would see but i guess it's just you get to a point where you can spend a certain amount of time which warrants a certain amount of um uh, I, I guess, financial reward for it as well. So there's, I guess, you, you eventually build value in what you do. Mm-hmm. So you can you can afford to start seeing less patients and do better quality work because your patients are happy yeah. to pay a premium for that yeah. service. And
0: that's like the dream. And it, just, that point.
2: and it just comes with time, you know, yeah. and it happens organically most of the time. You know, you just get to a point where you're like, oh, I'm like, you know, this is, people are happy to pay a premium for me yeah, to do sure. this for them. And mm-hmm. patients But you are know, happy.
1: that comes with time. So... You know, first you need to focus on doing good work until you get your name there because now you're at a point where you know people want to see you, you'll become a brand in a way, and then you know they know how good you are, so they'll do anything to. Uh, you know, for you to work on them. So, but initially, our focus should be actually doing good work, absolutely, and not thinking money. But once like before said, you run, you know, once you are you. there, once you're in your position, then you can do whatever you yeah, want. Yes, so like. Cool yeah. before you bull, can yeah.
2: <laughs> Shout out to you. Shout out Shout
0: out to you. Where's the album? <laughs> to <come> <laughs> uh, uh, talk to me a little bit about the Invisalign thing, because I know that's something that you've seem to be doing a lot of how was that sort of growth for you like where did you get the like background in that too
2: yeah so I was really lucky um so both my business partners do a lot of Invisalign so I had that support in-house to actually sort of you know learn a lot from them Invisalign has changed the shape of our practice and the way that we you know actually treat our patients and it's gone from that interdisciplinary approach where so many adult patients who have a cosmetic or an aesthetic discrepancy it's actually born from Poorly positioned teeth. So yeah. Invisalign become this. Invisalign for me isn't so much um, the be all and end all when it comes to sort of you know patient getting their smile. It's just part of the armamentarium to get them yeah. get them to that endpoint. And I often find that patients are so receptive to the notion of you know minimally invasive dentistry and how tooth you know preprosthetic tooth alignment can actually help them get an outcome which is far more functional, far more aesthetic, and likely going to be far more long lasting. Um, or minimize the need for complex you know restorative dentistry entirely so for me it's been an absolute game changer and yeah. for me I feel very comfortable treating you know I, I don't treat all the of cases and I work really closely with you know some great specialists and that's really changed again the dynamic of our practice you know we there's, there's such a big turf war that yeah. sort of under the under the covers that no one wants to talk about between specialists and, and general generalists but we don't feel that in our practice at all you know we're an all encompassing comprehensive practice that has a great brand for delivering all aspects of dentistry, but we still have these brilliant links with specialists around Mm -hmm. us and you know, I think specialists enjoy working with us as much as we do because we're actually pre-planning this case and going, hey, this is beyond my scope. I can't do this. I can't get this patient. But yeah. we'll have planned everything else you know, to a T where, hey, move these teeth to this position. I need 0.4 of a millimeter distal to that yes. lateral. Um, and specialists will love that. And I think that's such a big take-home thing for so many people out there as well is, you know, you, if even if you want to be that all-encompassing general dental practice that does everything and you want to keep everything in-house, you can still do that you can still comprehensively plan patients and you know patients will love you when you go hey i can't do this bit here go and see this person over here to get this thing sorted and then come back to me and i'll do you know see B, C, and d of yeah. that treatment plan um see so i've invisalign has been a great you know great addition to our practice yeah. and we do i guess we're doing more and more of it every day it's brought us into the digital world as well you know we weren't Looking at digital until we start doing Invisalign, we've got three scanners in our practices now, nice, yeah. um, and it's just changing the way that we practice every day. You know, we scan a lot of our patients for actually just even visualizing. You know, what's possible. You know, things like the Invisalign outcome simulator—they can yeah. sit on the spot.
0: So do you routinely like ITERO scan all the new patients as a part of the new patient uh, exam? or?
2: not every single patient, but more and more so. You know, yeah. anyone who's got complex needs, I'm finding once I've got that digital scan, it makes it easier for me as well. Yeah, I yeah. can start working on these patients. When they're not in my chair, as well, Absolutely. you know, it, it's an absolute game changer. You know, I can literally diagnose. It's and almost
1: do... as close as taking the patient home.
2: 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. Um, as, as, yeah, it, that might not be great for work-life balance, but at the same time, you know, if you've got that three D model, I can sit there and, and move it around. Patients can see those things yeah. just as clearly as we can. You know, we're trained to see, it but they they don't know until they can see it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say that I probably scan between 50 to 60 percent of my new patients nice. now that's great um, and even if it becomes a record long term yes. where you know god forbid they get in a car accident i've got their i've got their i've got a 3d scan i can reprint a full arch prosthesis that looks exactly like the yeah. you know the original that's so, cool. so um, yeah it's it's opened up a lot of doors for us for yeah. sure invisline yeah. and it's been fun sort of you know getting involved with some of the teaching and educating and i guess really perpetuating that notion of minimally invasive smile makeovers like there are so many adult patients i can get away with a bit of alignment bit of bleaching of course, a little bit of yeah. bonding a little bit of recontouring, maybe a little, you know, um gingival recontouring here and there. And these patients traditionally walked out with six to eight, you know, prepped veneers. Yeah. And when you've got a patient my patient my patient base is predominantly young, you know, I'd say it's see predominantly twenty five to 35 40 mm-hmm. year olds in my practice. It would be an absolute travesty if I was consistently yeah. cutting veneers or doing veneers on these patients. You know, most of them don't need it. Yeah, that's
0: yeah. so good. And this is a responsible thing. It might be more work for you up front. It might be easier to prep it, but I think like I said, long-term that will do 10 years well, your result is never and... gonna be that good. Like I mean, <laughs> yeah. if the
1: teeth are in the wrong place, they're in the wrong place. Totally. You yeah. can't prosthetically put anything to make it 100% correct until you, you might still be able to do veneers or whatever, but if you bring the tooth absolutely. to the right place, in the position where you need to be one, you're gonna be less invasive. Second, your outcome is always gonna be much more superior. Yeah,
2: yeah. absolutely. The beauty of it is the journey, you know, the patients are yeah. on the journey with you and as they well. And they see it, totally. they see it. They love the, because that's something I've started doing recently, Like it's tough because I'm like working in different
0: practices and I'm seeing like both sides of like dentistry like at the same time so like one is like more corporate based 30 minute exam and clean I'm like what am I supposed to do in this 30 minutes like you don't have no time to be any comprehensive so you're just being like reactive like okay you got a chip tooth there a cavity there but you don't have no time to be more comprehensive um, whereas in the other practice you know I have some good mentorship taking like full series photos we're doing scans and I tell the patient I'm like there's a lot going on let me bring it back next week we'll go through everything and i'm just like it's crazy i'm like booking like these insane cases that i would have like some of it i don't do myself i'll like refer off but like just the fact that i'm like putting in the time to like be comprehensive about it it's like it's fun for me too it just changed like dentistry for me like last few like it's like less than a month so like early early days i know but um, it is something that's like quite exciting like
1: your first exam like regardless of what it is for you need 60 minutes on it because you know it's the time also you develop the repo with the patient absolutely because That first impression is so important. And this is, I'm going back to my general dental days. And even now, my consults, and sometimes they're even more than a hour long because it depends how complex the case is. But I was very lucky, whoever I worked for, they always had the same model as, you know, exam and clean, 60 minutes. Even if I don't do the clean there, at least I'm getting all the records. I'm sitting and talking to the patient. I'm understanding what their needs are because... One thing is telling them what they need in the mouth, but also is listening to them and to what they want. Mm-hmm. Because then you got to put those two things together to come up with a treatment plan. Because if, you know, you're treating all the teeth which not concern them, and their concern was that one discolored anterior tooth which you have not done anything about, they still haven't got what they wanted. So, you know, understanding your patient is very important and that's why you need that time. Yeah, that's cool. I think I'm
0: on that. I know I'm like very early in this stage, but I'm on that growth trajectory. So I honestly, this master's thing is like seems pretty appealing. I'm um, just the fact that I like to see where you are in your career now and like all the stuff that you're doing. To me, I'm like that'd be cool to do that. Like if I go through this course and then it gives me the tools or the knowledge to be able to like actually apply some of these things into practice and, and do some bigger cases. It'll give, you the it would, obi-
2: it'll give you the ability to see yeah, you know, what's possible. And I think sure. even if it doesn't give you the the tools, you know, nothing no. I think postgraduate course ever spoon feeds you anything, yeah. Um, but it'll teach you to be more aware and more conscious, and you'll go, hey. It'll th- force
1: you to read more and see more. Yeah, yeah. totally. You'll
2: ask more questions. Absolutely, yeah. that's so cool. Hey,
0: right, Vernon, about yourself. So I know you're, you know, first year of uh, being a prosthodontist now. You're working I'm a, a new of as well, couple <laughs> practices. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about what like what that process has been like for you. Your average week, how the referral process has been. And one question I wanted to, kind of, if you can incorporate that into it, is how can a general dentist kind of like, improve their workflow with a specialist with the process. Um, How can we kind of work together to get a better outcome for the patient? Sure.
1: Um, Look, my my days are a little bit more varied than uh, perhaps is because one, I'm not just at one place. I'm at a couple of practices where I'm going out. So my my average week would be three and a half, four days of clinical work and uh, I teach sometimes a day or day and a half at the university, depending upon week to week and then sometimes I need to make time for admin. So, you know, I still take work home, which I shouldn't, but I have to sometimes. Um, at the moment, it's not that bad because, you know, as I'm still newly graduated, I'm feeling uh, finding my fate. I'm starting to, you know, build up my practice base as well. So, um, but days can vary, man. Like some days I have to see patients where I'm seeing the whole patient for the whole day, or at least the afternoon, depending on what I'm doing. Uh, like Brett said, we still need to have some slots for those new patients because if my referring dentist or someone else wants the patient to be seen quickly, I should be able to incorporate for that. That's very important. Um, as far as you know, uh, life otherwise working life is pretty good I mean I enjoy what I do it can be stressful but depends on the case if there's a difficult case there's only so much you can do about it it's gonna be a hard you know appointment you've got to get through it you've gotta to explain to the patient talk to them I think what I find is I am doing a lot more talking in the initial first two visits it's all about conditioning your patients you making them aware of what they're presenting with what complexities and also setting their expectations because You know, um, if someone like Barat, let's say, who's so good at what he does, he sends me someone who's not happy aesthetically. I mean, I have to look at it. Can I really do anything better than he's done? But then it's not about achieving the result. It's actually about understanding the patient and talking to them and conditioning them back to limitations and telling them, hey, I don't think I can do. And if that's what it is, you know, you need to tell them, "I, I don't think I can do anything better than what you already have. So you know that's that's where my days are. A lot of talking, a lot of talking, a lot of diagnostics, <laughs> um, a lot of presentations, and then when it comes to work, you know, it depends on what kind of work it is. Yeah, uh, I don't like. A full day patients like usually I try and avoid it because I don't think it's nice on the patients but in certain cases where you might be at this time the patient wants to get it done quicker or you think it might be a better situation than you do it mm-hmm. but uh, I think my break from that is when I go and do the teaching because I'm a very big believer like if you have something to offer you should always go and do it. yeah. it's just you know a bit of form of giving back to back to the students hopefully you know if we can teach them one or two things which they can take along and that might improve their working career yeah, mm. that's all You know, cool. it's all worth it. And I, I think it best applies to both of you guys. Like, I can
0: there's certain people that you meet, and you're like, these guys are like just passionate about what they do, and like it's, it, it comes through clearly with you guys. And I think that's it's very admirable that you guys are you know so open to like teaching and and helping others as well, and not just be like, no, this is my knowledge. When I keep it for my own like fulfillment. Mm. And as like, i like, I love teaching myself, but like, I have nothing to teach yet. So I'm
1: trying to learn stuff, and I'm like, okay, one day I'll know enough about something. And I'll just also, you know, coming back to it, what you asked, how the working relationship between GPs and Dennis can, or Prosthorontists can uh, improve. I mean, look, I think it's, it's about understanding that I'm a very big believer of if, because we work in a secluded environment where no one is always looking over your shoulder and saying that, okay, this is good, this is bad. So you need to be your own judge. You need to make those decisions yourself. If you feel at any point that, you know, I don't feel 100% confident, even if it doesn't mean you have to refer the patient, don't be afraid to pick up your phone and just call whoever you, the specialist you work with, because that's what I did when I was an undergrad. Like yeah. I still remember talking about implant crowns and I was doing my second or third implant crown and I put that driver wrong and the screw had spun and I was like, oh my God, I think it's talked, mm-hmm. but now I can't engage it. What happened? And, you know, like, I don't know if I should defer, if I should do, what I did was I picked up a phone, called the Prosperon, so I'm like, this is what happened. He's like, look, if it's stoked it's down, you've looked at it, it's fine, because first thing that will happen is the screw if it's not talked all the way down it'll come loose it will be much easier to retrieve it then than trying to now go and dig it so keep an observation tell the patient if he feels that give them my card if you you know want me to see them and tell them to come and see me and i'll see them right away so you know it's about communication and that puts you to arrest rest and also the patient knows that you know they're going to be managed one way or the other yes it's a complexity but complex situations can happen so for as far as gps i think you know just just be open if you need, you have any questions. Either way, just don't feel um, afraid to give anyone a call. And they
2: will always help you. I think one of the big things you said was communication. I think one of the biggest things that changed my relationship with specialists around me, you know, and I say this to all of my associates who work for me, is actually writing reports back to your specialists. Mm-hmm. You, know, you guys spend so much time treating our patients and then writing a report to tell us what you did and how it went. And often it's lost after that. And I always think about, you know, my endodontic colleagues who do these beautiful and you know beautiful endos for for my patients and i guess i have no idea what happens next you know how <laughs> terrible is that crown that i'm about to put on there that's going to compromise everything they have done but if i can send them a post-operative baseline bite wing yeah or you know a quick photo of you know what i've done at least you know it gives them some reassurance that their beautiful work has been taken care of on the Absolutely. other side yeah, you know, or with an orthodontist telling them how much, you know, how many, you know, how big a space I need or what mm-hmm. the plan is afterwards. You know, it's, I think that changes everything. The moment you start communicating, they, they'll, they'll come back to you. I, and right. I, and I don't right. know how you feel about this, Warren, but yeah.
1: No, I, I totally agree. I mean, if, I mean, I would, as much as I would not like to, but let's say if someone has referred a patient to me for a crown or whatever, I've done that. I can't see this patient on a regular basis. They're still going to go back to you, and you are going to be maintaining it. I would still like to know how the patient is going. Totally. You know, yeah. just it's it makes you feel good that everything is good. Uh, it's been followed up. And, you know, I'll tell the patient, okay, I'll see you once a year just to have a quick look to make sure things are not going wrong. But it's always good to hear back. Like, even if yeah. even if it's, it's not going to change your life, but, you know, it's good to know that the patients are in good hands and they've been getting followed up. Even if it's to say the crown is still going okay. Yeah, absolutely you know so that's that's all and it just makes you feel better that you know yeah, yeah work absolutely. is still getting looked after that's perfect
0: so um, before we wrap things up I just want to quickly get into future plans for both of you guys uh, so if you want to just share with me like if you have something that uh, you're kind of planning for like say in the next five years hoping to achieve professionally
1: uh, look I mean um, five year plan would essentially be one obviously establish a Myself more as a prosthodontist because I'm, as I said, I'm still a newbie in the game. I'm still finding my feet, uh, and also eventually the long-term plan is to own your own practice. Have mm-hmm. have something that you know you can then have more control on, just so that I can design it the way I want. Yeah. Um, and um, idle, ideally, it would be four days of practice and one day of teaching. That's where I would want to be because I think no matter how busy or not I get, I would still want to have one day of teaching just to give a you know. Because I learned from a lot of good people who motivated me. Yeah. So that is one of the part of where I see myself. Like if I can be there to help someone in their early careers, hopefully it'll make some difference because definitely did to my life. And I learned a lot from good people. So. Yeah. That's
2: great. What um, Yeah, look, for me, it's, I think a lot of it is, yeah, keep growing with the businesses. I absolutely love what we've built, you know, together with my partners, you know, just keep growing, get on more associates, see more patients. Um, so that's a big thing for me over the next five years is you know how big can we really sort of build our practices and you know I guess continue to deliver that sort of value and quality Um, personally I I guess very very similar to Varun you know I think my ideal work week is that sort of four week work week and just start teaching more and start educating more and and hopefully have some sort of impact on on the others around me and I think
1: I mean I speak for both of us and this is why we decided to do the study club is because you know I think we need to give back and it's uh, It's a very important aspect because things that I can tell people now, hopefully if I knew seven, eight years ago, I might have been on a much higher level of education by now. Like I might have understood things when I went into the program. I might have been a bit more better clinician and it might have given me a bit of pace. So I think teaching is very important. If you And you think, as you, Amit, you're saying that you don't think you have something to offer, but believe me, I think you do. Okay, uh, and <laughs> how many people can actually sit and do a podcast I mean this is a very big skill and you are bringing all this knowledge to all the others in the you know around the world yeah. you have how many 66 countries or 69 countries now so you know like this is a big achievement so, thank you appreciate it yeah absolutely I think you're doing great and uh, hopefully we can just continue doing this and uh, hopefully we can make this newbie podcast or newbie study club into something that people get value out of. I think that's, that's, that would be a good idea too. I'm excited um, for the first
0: event. I think it's like, I think people will get this episode out before the event comes out. I think a lot of people will listen to this episode and, and will get excited to come out and actually see you guys speak and, and teach um, all the things that you've learned from your experiences. For me, like just doing this is, you know, I think one of my favorite like quotes was like Bill Gates was saying like, find any hard task and like find the laziest person because yeah, and, and, like, do and, and, that's me like I'm like the laziest person so I, I instead of like reading articles and stuff I'm like I'm just talk to someone who knows this stuff and I'll just learn it from them exactly. and then I'll just put it out so other people can <laughs> get some value as well so it doesn't hurt right so I appreciate uh, you guys coming on today it was a great conversation we went over Almost an hour and 10 minutes, so I think that's quite exciting. A lot of good, uh, you know, topics and pointers that we kind of touched on. And I think a lot of people get a lot of good value. Now, what I've been doing the past few episodes is just uh, ending off on a bit of a rapid fire here. So, uh, I'll just ask the same question to both of you guys, just like a quick answer. Uh, so, Brad, what's your favorite pizza topping?
2: Uh, ooh, jalapenos.
0: Jalapenos? Salami. Salami. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite Instagram account to follow?
2: Uh... Oh, I'm gonna give it this is a bit of a bromance yeah Dr. Johan yeah <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a great, he's a great
1: account to follow for sure Broome? Uh I don't know I, I don't think I have a favourite one but yeah. uh, Dr. Gotsu from uh, the prosthodontist from Canada I like yeah. his
2: work yeah. he does great work yeah. huh? um, what's your favourite tooth to work on um, I actually think the one four has the nicest occlusal in it
0: yeah <laughs>
2: Love hate
1: relationship. Central incisors. Central incisors. Okay.
2: Yeah.
0: And what's uh, your favorite procedure to do that you could do all day, all day, every day?
2: Uh, bonding. If bonding. I have my brush and some composite, that's what yeah. I want to do. Uh,
1: probably either composites or interior ceramics. Interior ceramics. Uh, and what's the
0: one procedure that makes you question why you're doing dentistry? <laughs> Endodontics. Endodontics. <laughs>
1: i don't know man <laughs> i um i'm i'm because i'm not doing general dentists like i'm yeah. focused to prosthodontics um but i think orthodontics i've never, never had much of uh, yep. interest although i love working with them because they bring the teeth to the place where. <laughs> <laughs> but i just i can't do it yeah yeah uh
0: what is the one uh what would you be doing if you weren't doing dentistry i can i be a graphic designer
1: graphic sure. designer yeah <laughs> Neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> doesn't hurt. You can say whatever you want.
0: Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. It was a great episode. Um, I'm excited to get this out there and get some good feedback. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people will hopefully reach out to you guys with like, follow-up questions and everything. So the event is Introduction to Aesthetic Dentistry, October 29th. Uh, Dr. Brad Agrawal Dr. Brungard going to be there uh, dropping some serious knowledge um, I'm going to be learning so for me it's uh, some free CPD which is sweet so I um, hope you guys can come out as well and uh, learn a thing or two and, and what we're hoping to do how we're trying to be a, be a bit of a disturber in this space is actually teach in a way that you can apply it the next day like I talked about earlier on it's one thing to go to CPD but it's another thing to actually go and like learn actual tips that you can actually apply in the workplace the day after um, so hopefully that's what we can kind of accomplish with this first event and sort of uh, see where things go from there. Um, absolutely
1: and i mean with aesthetics and this is why we chose this topic is because you know seeing is believing and doing so if you can't see it you can't change it and hopefully after after this you'll be able to pick up one or two more things about aesthetics and if we can help you along the way that'll be great absolutely can't
2: wait for it it's going to be a good event hopefully
1: yeah. awesome guys thank you